Welcome to Rule Blame Public Radio. This is Game Designers Workshop, and uh, this episode is about Termination Shock and ships, uh, specifically spacecraft, because uh, this is what uh, my guest Greg Stolze uh, and also my co-host of Lotto Narrative Distance, the other RPG, one of the other RPG podcasts I do, uh, is kickstarting currently. Uh, hopefully, if you listened to this before june 15th uh you can back it now uh and part of the producer ross podcastic universe <laughs> yeah basically uh, every time i have a problem it's like why don't i do a podcast about it and uh <laughs> uh i i just keep doing them and i need to like uh uh yeah anyway uh this is not about me though. all your problems right <laughs> that's that's the theory uh that's the plan the theory um yeah, so uh, Termination Shock is uh, Greg's uh, sci-fi RPG, uh, and uh, this is the first. Is this the first supplement for it, or this the, is the second? The second. So we we successfully yeah. kickstarted Different Trouble, which was all about our wild alien races, and oh, so you want to play a soulless robot? Here's how you do that. Mm-hmm. And so it was a bunch of different uh, character options, and you know people love that. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, the the fact that you can now be a robot that is just a cloud being, <laughs> and that's fun. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, you just want to talk about like, um, what is it like? Uh, why why this supplement? Um, and what is it like kickstarting uh, a supplement for a, a, a indie RPG? Uh, well, I should I should yeah. start with what termination shocks like one thing you wanted to do with this kickstarter was also make it a really great place for people who don't know about termination shock to get on board so Hmm. one of the reward tiers doesn't actually get you the supplement we're kickstarting you just get you can just get the main book at a discount and the money like sort of goes to pay me and the artist who did all the the drawing for this book that we're Trying to get paid for, you know? We're trusting the audience because, you know, we've put the work in already. Um, So, which is one of the factors I can talk about in Kickstarter and crowdfunding generally. But the game itself is, I've always been a science fiction fan and I love science fiction. And I was always like, how come there isn't a really successful scientific uh, science fiction game that isn't either a licensed project or basically D&D in space either mm. in in feel or particularly in rules mm. and i think part of the part of the challenge of writing a science fiction role playing game is that if you have a deep and uh, people on one hand want a deep setting and this is the advantage of doing a Star Trek game, is the deep setting is already in place. Mm-hmm. But when it's your deep setting, now it's suddenly like, okay, before you play this game, read this 200-page setting chapter and be sure you brush up on the politics of the cat people of Centauri Five. And most people don't seem to want a ton of homework with their games anymore. And I can understand that because I don't want a ton of homework with my games anymore. Yeah. 
Uh, that's definitely true. Um, you know, when I ran Lance, I ran Lancer recently and like the players were like two of the three of them had not did not read the rules or they looked at the Ooh. handout I sent about it. So I had to and I, I, I expected that. Right. Like um, it's uh, a complex, crunchy game. And so like it was a tutorial kind of adventure. Um, yeah. Well, with Termination Shock, I wanted the I wanted the setting to be front and center, but I didn't want you to have to learn a bunch. Mm-hmm. And so I've it's it's very deliberately got a setup where it's like, no, you don't know anything. You are ignorant cosmic hayseeds. You do not have to do any homework. You just roll into class. And the point of the adventure is to figure out what this alien is trying to do with two or for you. Mm-hmm. And and so learning the setting becomes the point of play rather than an exercise in shipping out a new splat book every couple months, which we certainly can't do and don't want to. Yeah. So that's that's the setting is that you are human beings who don't know what's going on and are trying to find out through play. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to go with that that uh, sort of lightness of knowledge i wanted the rules to be pretty light too but at the same time and this is something we've we've come up with in that that lnd has got me thinking about i didn't realize i was doing this but my gaming game design career has had a lot of how do i pull more information out of this die roll right Mm -hmm. and it's like you know the one roll engine it's like oh it's not just the numbers on the dice and the number of dice and the totals it's also how the dice relate to one another. And this gives us another, you know, this this allows the potential iterations of the math to unfold like an origami blossom. But what I've seen with LND is that information in games, you can see this going all the way back to people dividing crunch from fluff, right? And... A game like The Quiet Year does not have a lot of specific concrete numerical information, but it has an awful lot of evocative vibes. And and there's a little tiny bit of this in D&D with the critical hits and misses, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like when you get that 20, you just feel this sense of, okay, well, everything's coming up PC. Um, and when you get that one, it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm just time to bite down on that stick and wait for, let the darkness take me until I recover. Uh, and what I wanted with Termination Shock and what I did is I'm like, I want a sense of, you know, when you get a success, I want that success to have a flavor. And so the way Termination Shock basically works is you have three stats, uh, energy, gravity, harmony, and they're very, very broad. Everybody has the same three. You rate them differently. Energy is how well you change the situation around you, right? Mm -hmm. A high energy person comes into a situation and it's immediately all about them and they are setting the agenda. Mm -hmm. Gravity is how well you resist being changed. So the the high gravity person is the one that you can't tell them anything and you and and they will not get out of the way and they remain 
unchanged. You know, that this is the person you want standing between you and the high energy danger is the high gravity defender. And then there's harmony, which is how well do you adapt to situations as they change. And so the high harmony person gets between the immovable object high gravity person and the unstoppable force high energy person and helps mm -hmm. them become one. So with every successful role, the way you, you get, you know, dice sizes, you, you have one, uh, you know, your energy might be your biggest die, your gravity might be your lowest die, and you're a very flighty person then. Uh, or, you know, your harmony might be your highest die, and your gravity might be your lowest die, and then you're a very, you know, tranquil, adaptive person, but when that fails, you get hurt bad. And so you roll all three dice for everything, and you take the highest two. And what this lets me do in the, the rules is that I have now a flavor of different successes. And so there are all these uh, special abilities that it's like, if you succeed and these, and this is your lowest die, you know, if you're, if you succeed and your energy's low, then I know that the success was flavored with gravity and harmony, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that you overcame this problem, not just because you rolled well, but because you were this stable, eminence, grease negotiator. Whereas if your harmony's low, then I know that you overcame this situation with energy and gravity high, and you just tanked shit. It's just, you know, like, well, okay, I'm Juggernaut, and your pavement, enjoy being flat now, I guess. And so all the abilities are keyed up like that. So they have a style to them that when you succeed in the game, you can succeed, you can amp up your successes by having them be better. And similarly, uh, there are these things called fail safes where it's like, oh, if you fail at your roll, but your lowest die is harmony, now we know that you failed because you were clumsy. Hmm. And we can work in some kind of consolation prize or, you know, well, it's not so bad because at least you were tough about it. Whereas if you fail a roll because you're, you know, because your energy was low, it's like, oh, yeah, you just you couldn't fully change the situation, but at least you didn't overextend yourself. And so you get a little... uh some kind of benefit based on the fact that, oh, well, but you were still working your gravity and harmony. You were still staying unchanged and adapting. Mm -hmm. so that is the, you know, from the designer's perspective, this is the design philosophy of Termination Shock. <laughs> cool. Did, uh, did I explain yeah. it, Ross? How's it I sound? Think, I, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty cogent uh, explanation of the core mechanics or the core concepts of the mechanics, uh, from what I remember, oh, since we did play it on our PPR actual play uh, a, a while ago, uh, I think for the previous Kickstarter. Um, but yeah, so um, with, with these mechanics in mind, um, what did you bring to the table with this new supplement, which is uh, it's ships, how to build them and blast them. Um, ships, how to build and blast them. Yes. Yeah. So, did you ever play Starfleet Battles growing up or Car Wars? 
no, I am aware of them. I have browsed the books, but they, I saw them and are like, no, this is way too crunchy for me. Uh, so this yeah. is why I, I had these rules written before we put out the main book. And I agonized about, you know, is this main book material? Is this supp- supplement material? Mm-hmm. And ultimately left it out because I wanted the main book to be smaller, cheaper, more accessible, easier to buy, right? Because mm-hmm. the unfortunate pressures of commerce make game selling a exercise in whale hunting, right? The companies that put out the most luxe, premium, expensive products for the gamers in the highest 5% of spending are the ones who make the really big bank on Kickstarter, which was not what I predicted when I started crowdfunding. I thought it was going to be a team of 10,000 ants instead of one whale. That's a really interesting... I mean, that is true. It is 100%. um, I would say like 100%, but yeah, whale hunting uh, by whale... I mean, you see it, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely see it. Like, look at games. Like in board games, it's, uh, I think, even bigger because you have games like Gloomhaven and Frosthaven, which are, you know, a big fuck-off 20-pound box uh that sells for like a hundred bucks before shipping right and that that that's at the low end like they they make a lot of bank from uh oh get five hundred dollars you get everything uh Mm -hmm. but even in rpgs i remember the delta green kickstarter the delta green one yes uh had like oh get like the core book for this get the core book and the the handler guide for double this but then get all these stretch goal books for three hundred dollars four hundred dollars um, and, but weirdly enough, they're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we want all the, I want all the books, but wait till they're all published and then just shipping me once. Cause they don't want to pay extra for shipping. So well, they're like, yeah, and that, was, is, befo- that yeah. was before shipping like group. Yeah. That was back in- and fangs. It was, it was, it was back it was when not- shipping was still this cute little kitten eh. before it grew up to be a liger that eviscerates you as soon as you drop your guard. Uh, I mean, Caleb had talked about it quite extensively for the Red Markets Kickstarter, mm-hmm. which was around the same time as Dr. <sighs> Green. And it was also uh, atrocious back then. But it's like there I've seen people on the Delta Green uh, Kickstarter updates complaining about like, when are you going to give me my books? And like, well. When we finish them, which is, you know, like we're doing 10, but bo- you wanted 10 books and we've done like seven of them and it takes us about a year to do a book at, at a minimum. So like, well, you can do the math there, buddy. So uh, it's yeah, it's, it's not like you'll be too old to enjoy them. Yeah, it's like you got the PDFs and you're you're a whale. You could have afforded to, to ship 10 books separately, but, you know, whatever. Well, it's uh, uh, is, that, that's a tangent. That's a tangent. And so the deal with Starfleet battles and car wars. And the reason I brought those up is Mm -hmm. that they are very, they're tactical minis games. They are Mm -hmm. not role-playing games. It's, you know, I'm okay. I'm going to move my car and car wars came with this little cardboard turning key so that you could (laughs) really, yes, because your motorcycle could turn on a dime and had a really Mm -hmm. tight turn radius and your big old fuck off van steers like a whale. And that was important when Mm -hmm. you were doing positioning on a a grid. Mm -hmm. And so I did not want to get 
that finicky. Sure. But there is a fun kind of finicky, right? Where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, I'm, it's, it, this may displease some listeners, but I'm going to compare it to like dressing up your paper dolls, right? Mm-hmm. That, and you see this in video games, you see this in XCOM where it's like, okay, which face do I want to put on my sniper, which oh, I will sure. never see when the, the game is actually happening, except in the little cinematic generated scenes, but still, yeah, in plaid. And mm-hmm. I I made myself in XCOM too. I'm like, okay, yes, short hair, gray, yep, there he is, nervous mm-hmm. posture and eyeglasses, bada bang. I made me, and now I can see what I will look like if a muton punches me into red mist. Um, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I know, like in Lancer, the players had a lot of fun custom describing how their mechs were customized. Yes, uh, in cosmetic appearance. Yeah. Well, and not just cosmetic appearance. It's you, you see this in D and D with the shopping scenes, right? And mm. not just D and D, especially. In science fiction, science fiction particularly tends to be a gear-oriented game. Yeah, cyberpunk. Uh, yeah, you gotta D&D. Get all your, your implants and your gun uh, attachments and accessories. Yes, right? and and mm-hmm. you, and so I I I knew this going in. I'm like, I want people to be able to shop and have all these cool different things. And it's like, okay, well. Do I want to go for the military specifications, tight, cold quarters where it's, you know, six people per hex? Or do I want the luxury where it's one person per hex and everyone gets their own bathroom? And, you know, collectively, we've got a little library lounge bar with a pool table. Um, Mm. I, I want that in your ships. And the the combat system included is not map combat because, oh my God, with spaceships, either you have to hand wave away the fact that it's all happening on one plane, right? Which is what Starfleet Battles did. Mm-hmm. Or you have to have like layers of maps or oh, else, sure. you know, okay, well, we're going to put this many on you know six lego bricks so that you know it's up above the and then you get into firing arcs and i did 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 not want to be that finicky but i did want people to feel the sense of ownership of a design that you have when you've assembled it it's like um all right looking across my desk I made a Lego model of the Mars rover, right? And I just Mm -hmm. sort of freestyled it. And the reason that's on my desk, it does not look as cool and as as perfect as an expertly designed Lego set that you buy and follow the instructions. But I like it better because it is mine. It came from me. And I think there can be some of that too. There are plenty of ships... Well, there's a few. There, there is a number of ships described in the book. We didn't do, you know, like 8,000. We did more than a few. Mm-hmm. But each one, I tried to make it that it had a feel to it, right? One of the ships I wrote up is this yacht that used to belong to a zero-gravity MMA champion from Indonesia. And so it's... 
half. He's got, you know, one room of it is just all his MMA trophies and also historical objects he's collected, like, you know, one of Haystack Calhoun's old wrestling trophy boat uh, belts. But the ship itself is shaped like a Javanese dancer's crown. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is this is as far as I could get from a generic ship. And I wanted every ship I designed to have something about it that made you want to pay attention and know why it's that way and what that means. And so part of the book is all on how do you do the history of your ship? How do you do the vibes of your ship? What does it mean if your ship was designed by and for an alien race? What does it mean if your ship used to be a warship and is now a pleasure yacht? What does it mean if your ship used to be a pleasure yacht and is now a pirate corsair? Right. And this is I like want- a... Uh, setting where it's sufficiently advanced so uh and it's in space so aerodynamic and technological restraints aren't really a factor so if you want to make it look like a headdress it can look like a headdress right like that's i mean well yeah have you seen the indonesian dancer headdresses are these pointed tiers so they do kind of you could make that shape aerodynamic if you really wanted to but one of the uh ships i think it's gonna be on like the back cover the cover is going to be this giant shipyard with all these different ship designs in process. And one is a spaceship that is literally shaped like the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and like the engines vent out the skirts. Yeah. I mean, and we've already seen that in cinema, obviously. You know, the, the, the classic Spaceballs uh, has already. <laughs> oh, God, that's where it came from. Oh, yeah. I thought I was being so original and I was just aping Mel Brooks. Damn it. <laughs> Damn you, you maniacs. Yeah. You uh, scooped my idea. Yeah, only a couple decades. Don't, yeah, d- yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, just, yeah. Uh, it's all coincidental. Um, <sighs> uh, I already nope. feel bad enough about myself that this isn't going to make a dent. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is, is that's the ship's book. And mm-hmm. because it is a little more techy and finicky, I wanted to have it be its own thing. But I don't know. I I would think that any science fiction game, I flatter myself. We now reach the, the uncomfortable part of the podcast mm-hmm. for me where I have to talk about how great I am, mm. which is not which is not how I was raised in the Midwest. We are uh-huh. not we are not a culture of natural self-promoters, but I'd like to think that anybody who's in a game where they are designing their own ships could get a little something out of this of, uh, you know, even if the mechanics don't work and I, even if the mechanics aren't something you can apply to the game you're playing, I'd like to think that the thought behind instilling vibes and a history and a sense of identity, really, to a spaceship. I mean, the Millennium Falcon is a character in Star Wars. The Enterprise Mm -hmm. is a character in Star Trek. The ships have a feeling. Although the one from Guardians of the Galaxy, I can't even remember its name. I'm like, I don't don't feel like they made it that much of a character. No, no. It's... 
and, but... and well, you can see this reflected in different game systems, right? Like uh, you mentioned Starfleet Battles, which I know is a war game, not really an RPG, but like there are similar games out there which treat ships as, you know, instruments to solve basically optimization problems, right? Like you yes. have to defeat other enemies. You know, it's all very uh, focused on technical what aspects. What is and, the you know, best gun? Yeah, what is the best spaceship to destroy my enemies? Um but then there's other the other game systems like uh, Scum and Villainy, which I ran a short campaign of and is based on Blades in the Dark. What your spaceship is your your crew, your found family's home. And so, mm-hmm. like, uh, you get to personalize it with different things that have a flavor, like you add a different compartment that does this or you add a different feature that does this. But it also it not only gives it, your crew a mechanical benefit, it also has a role playing aspect. You're like, oh, the ship's uh, a doctor at a med bay. And so, like, you have a place to cure your wounds and like uh, and treat that. But it also has this role playing aspect to it. Right. Um, yeah. And it because it treats it basically, it, you know, Blaze of the Dark, you have your gang that benefits the entire crew, but it has its own character sheet. Um, and in like a company in rain. Yeah. You like a company in rain and, uh, and your spaceship serves that function in uh, scum and villainy. Um, and yeah, so there's a ton of different implementations and they say something about the game's themes and like it's rules and like, and and, like what the game is really about. Um, and, uh, you're, you're obviously showing like termination track. The ship is a extension of your character is, is, uh, closer to that blade, that, uh, scum and villainy thing of your home. I'd be like, what yes. it reflects about you as a per as your character uh, uh as a person um and also how you relate to this massive universe you know little about <laughs> which is it's the, point the, of the place you go back to where it's like okay this at least i understand somewhat mm-hmm. unless you've somehow wound up with a bizarre alien ship and you're just trying to figure it out uh you know one of the things i i put in the the book is all right okay in the section about what was it before it was yours, assuming it's Mm -hmm. not a brand new ship. And it's like, what do you do when you find there's a secret compartment and clearly long ago, something lived in there and was like writing graffiti on the walls in alienese. What do you do about that? Yeah. um, I think how creepy that would be if you'd been sleeping in this room for you know four months you've been living here and then suddenly you bump something just the wrong way to make the secret compartment open up and you're like oh my god something was living here in hiding yeah and that that emphasizes termination shocks about themes about exploration and discovery is like you don't understand anything you're you're on your path to understanding this thing and your ship is still something you don't fully understand and as the game progresses you begin you the the mystery of the ship is revealed or you you know you unravel that i mean you can get a ship where it's like you understand everything this was built by humans you can fix anything on this ship but a lot of the better systems or some of the better systems it's like yeah Nobody who is not some kind of uplifted super genius understands how this works. Mm -hmm. If this, this, there's one of the power plants where it's just like, yeah, it's just this small black box and all the energy you could ever need comes out of it. You can run any system off of this energy. The size of your power plant determines, you know, puts a limit on, on what other systems you can use. Some are really power hungry. Some are like, eh, no, they pretty much run themselves. But this thing, it's like, yeah, you know, 
the engineers who kind of understand it are like, yeah, we think it has a functional lifespan of about 60,000 years. If it breaks down and you can find anyone who can fix it, whatever they ask, it's probably worth it. <laughs> yeah. So your relationship to your ship and like how it's a, a unique thing, right? I think that's an important like theme for the these these kind of games for about sci-fi where the ship is not just a line item on your inventory, right? Like it's it's a, like you're you're saying it's its own unique character. Uh, well, and you can yeah. do the yeah. super duper hard. It doesn't even have to be hard science fiction, but hard rule simulationist. It's like, okay, yes, this ship can move this many parsecs in this much time, and there's this degree of time shift, and it requires X amount of fuel. And I'm like, but that wasn't what interested me. I don't want to do that accounting. There's too much accounting in my life as is. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's true, you know, um, and we yeah, you, we can hand wave it and get to the good parts where I I can speak in funny voices and chew scenery. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you begin to realize, oh, this is not as fun. Uh, you know, there was a time where I love making min max third ad D&D character uh -huh. scenarios. And now it's just like I just don't want to waste so. all this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and anyway, I mean, yeah. if that, if that's your bliss, chase your bliss. There are lots of games out there for that. Mostly from like, I want to say 1998. Yeah. Well, no, there's still, trust me, there's tons of games being made like that now. Uh, but they are, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. It's an interesting, uh, uh, question. I mean, I look at Battletech and even the new mm. editions like heat yeah. and things like that. It's like, oh God. So uh, is ba well, is Battletech yeah. a role-playing game or a tactical minis game or kind of... It does kinda, both. Okay, like, so you, it, like you, Lancer... Yeah, yeah. Uh, like but, Lancer, it's a Switch. It's Yeah, it's complex like Lancer, but in an entirely different way. Um, it's, <laughs> it, so, like, you have to... From what I remember, which has been a while, you have to think about weight, you know, the tonnage of your mech and oh, heats and things like Arr. that. And your, and your mechs are all more similar to each other. Rather in Lancer, it's like this. This thing can like reverse time, or this thing is a gun that we <laughs> don't understand and yep. ignore. Yeah, or it can Love teleport. That yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, a different in, kind of complexity. Yeah. In Starfleet battles, the start yeah. of every turn was energy allocation, mm -hmm. and so you had this budget of energy, and you powered up different systems it's like okay i'm gonna put this much energy into my shields and this much into my photon torpedoes and i have this much left over to to move and it was extremely finicky but yeah the, in a weird way and you know it's like okay this is why it takes six hours to mm -hmm. simulate a four minute conflict but it was kind of cool i mean now you'd just do it all on a computer and oh, i'm surprised sure. now maybe there is a starfleet battles computer game oh there i'm sure there is there there's also yeah the the, the simulation no, is, the, the uh, specific yeah. the yeah. specific rules i remember with the 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 thing i remember is there was this great bit because these these sorts of rules do what they do well is they lend themselves to synergistic design right where it's like okay because there are all these foundational assumptions and uh 
and and mechanized moving bits once you change one assumption you get a real you can get a really neat effect out of it mm -hmm. uh the sfb one i remember was engine doubling and there was this one one faction where it's like oh yeah you know you can double your engine and you know it it normally a normal engine has like eight boxes and produces eight points of energy mm -hmm. and with this you have eight boxes of engine but for one turn you produce 16 boxes of points of energy but then one of your boxes burns out mm. so and it was described in one of the books as this is cocaine economics because it feels great at first and then you have to do it just to be normal and then it kills you mm. because every time you double the next double is worth less and right. your non-doubled is worth less so pretty soon you're doubling just to get back where you started and you're on this death spiral it it was an elegant death spiral for uh for a, a tabletop yeah uh, and so strategy the, game right and the, the then the challenge comes can i win this fight quickly so that i don't burn out and uh the opponent then their challenge is being able oh they're they're doubling their power i need to like wait them out and so like mm -hmm. it becomes the 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 you know for this very complex game it boils down to that you know can you know can you survive can you basically burst damage them rush them to kill them or can you survive the onslaught and i find that uh uh yeah and so th there is a joy in that kind of like complexity and finding that figuring that out and like if your opponent misreads you and doesn't realize that then they get overwhelmed um or but if they can they can just like figure out a way to stall you out uh then yeah uh it, it, a very interesting way to do cat and mouse and th that, that's what the best duels come down to right the best challenges comes down to figuring out a very precise way to uh maneuver around your opponent and uh get a superior position you know metaphorically or, or right. literally and um and so for ships you do have a ship on ship combat system um yes you, yeah so how how does does that come across uh is, um, it, is it that level or is it sort of like so what yeah, i yeah. what well, first, let me tell you who I ripped off for this uh, is <laughs> is Gregor Hutton's 316 with mm -hmm. instead of having a gigantic battle map, you mm -hmm. have ranges. Right. And so there are weapons that work best at close range and there are weapons that work best at medium range. And there are weapons where it's like, yeah, you know, only only long range weapons will get out to this far. Uh, you know, there's. There's missile stuff where it's like, oh, I'm going to send 80 rockets at this guy and see how many he can dodge and shoot down before they blow up next to his ship is one tactic. But it's also got what what wound up being a big deal was sort of infosec hacking stuff where it's like, OK, your hacker character is definitely somewhere one who's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to spoof the rocket and make it detonate early or I'm going to make it go off uh, course so that we deal with it next turn rather than this one. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so there's a lot of electronic warfare options because mm -hmm. I wanted every player to have something they could do. And uh, if you're yeah. in a, if you're in a ship battle, if you're a pilot, it's obvious what cool stuff you can do. Right. And if you're in the turret as a gunner, 
it's obvious what cool stuff you can do. Yeah. But no, I know that yeah. that's the challenge for spaceship combat, right? Like in most RPGs is like, how do you not, how do you give everybody, everyone feels like they're in, you know, important contributing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, And so I'm like, I want there to be stuff that the the engineer does. And I want there to be things that um, the the hacker does. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and if you're the social character, one of the one of the best maneuvers is command. So remember how I described you've got these three stats and you roll three dice for it. So if you're. You know, if if you're not a pilot or a hacker or a gunner or an engineer and nobody's hurt and you're not the medic, you can be the commander who has no practical skills, but just inspires people and, and lays the strategy. And the way this works is you tell every you tell up to three people what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Then you roll your dice. And as long as people are doing what you told them. If one of the dice you rolled, if your energy die is higher than their energy die, they can swap in your energy die. Someone else can swap in your harmony die and someone else can swap in your gravity die. So, but they got, they have to do what you tell them. And in, mm-hmm. in our, our play test, this was, this was a lot of the captains like, okay, do what you were doing. And we're like, all right, roll high. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that sounds quite good. I do remember, um one other system that did like not that way but like in an interesting way uh was ashen stars from robin laws which was a gumshoe system but it had different stations for every character and like you would roll different abilities for each station um and based on those roles you would uh determine your position or like what you could do like one person chose like what the tactic was uh and then everyone else mm-hmm. and so like Th- that and that's the kind of thing you have to do right you kind of have to like the the idea is to emulate like what they do in star trek is like show the you know uh them at the bridge and everyone's doing things at their station but then also cut away to the engine room and cut away to the medic bay and everything's exploding and dealing with board you know yes. invading borgs or teleporting you know uh, uh people uh klingons jumping in the ship and that kind of thing and uh so that way every you could see all the characters you care about what they're doing we, we're not just you know one lock shot uh, shot on the captain as as the captain gives orders to everyone but uh, what about sulu it's yeah exactly really gonna, what, what what is sulu doing yeah this like, is all down to the pilot mr sulu mm-hmm. um so and no, that's cool. I, I'm glad. Well, uh, thank that, you. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you approve, Ross. Yeah, um, well, I mean that because I feel like that's the bare minimum. Like that's that's the goal, right? Uh, not the bare minimum, but the goal is to have everyone contributing and doing something, not just let let, let one character do everything for a long time. This this was yeah. a, a problem we found with you know cyberpunk way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Was you know, it's like okay, it's time for the hacker to do its thing. Oh everyone yeah, else but, get coffee. Yeah. It is it is kind of yeah the hacking thing. The hack yeah let let the one player do the mini game for half an hour. Everyone else go take yes, a smoke or right. that. It's a little bit of that with the huckster in Deadlands, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I've never played Deadlands, but I do know yeah. There's a whole card drawing like card game thing it's like okay play a mini game of poker now Mm -hmm. to cast your in order to cast your spell cool uh which you know extremely flavorful and evocative but not a team sport no another thing that i'm very happy with in how the ship combat system works is it's like okay 
why is this, what is the goal of this combat? And it's like, if someone is just trying to absolutely freaking destroy your ship, that's one set of, uh, of tactics. But if they're trying to take over your ship, that's an entirely different set of tactics. Mm-hmm. If there is something they are trying to steal off of your ship, suddenly a bunch of, you know, it's like, if, if you... If they are trying to kidnap the princess you're escorting, suddenly they're like, well, we can't launch a salvo of nuclear missiles like we normally would have because she's not radiation proof. This is going to be a job for either hacking their computer and killing their engine or a boarding party. Mm. And so you can flow it directly from you know okay well we're we're chasing we're being chased they're coming after us you know we're throwing all the stuff out the back we're trying to get enough space that we can can outrun them and lose their sensors and they're trying to get close enough that they can actually ram our ship splice in a ramp and send in the marines so it it flows back and forth where it's not just you know, oh, well, I shoot my laser. Well, I shoot my laser. Yeah. So that nice. yeah. I, I, I felt I mean, that, that is an important that. distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Between, yeah, those, those are very different uh, uh, goals <laughs> boarding versus destroying. Yeah. Crowdfunding and kickstarting, which, yeah, I've been there pretty much since the start. And it's been a wild and funky ride. Yeah, for our listeners who are aware, you were the one you you actually innovated, uh, pioneered the uh, the ransom model, which is a early crowdfunding uh, uh, model, which uh, I have seen used on and off over the years. Uh, which is basically, uh, I have this thing. I'm going to hold it for ransom. If I if people contribute X amount of dollars, I will release release it free to the public. Um, I've actually used yes, it myself. I s- yeah. Still do it with, uh, you know, I, I, there's a whole, whole, whole ton of fiction on gregstolze.com uh, that you can read for free because someone else has paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it works. And the, the origin of this, the first thing I ever crowdfunded was a game called Meatbot Massacre, which mm-hmm. was, uh, when I was writing it, the working title was uh, Nokopo for, um, uh, uh, oh, I got to remember what that stood for. It was, you know, no, something that, be, that, that, that there was basically no profit and uh, uh, there was no market for it. There was no profit and uh, avenue. And I'm like, there's just not a way if I had a whole ass gaming company. This could be, uh, you know, a minis line, but Jesus, I don't have that kind of money. Uh, and so I'm like, well, the rules, I really like these rules. These are extremely cool rules. Mm-hmm. So what if I just gave them away to people? And it's like, yeah, figure out what you're going to do for minis. Good luck with that. And, uh, you know, if I get 700 bucks, you know, five cents per word, It'll be worth it for me to stick this up on my webpage. And part of it was laziness. 
I did not want to figure out how to add a store to my webpage. And I did not want to figure out how to try and do DRM because back then it was just the accepted wisdom that, oh, well, you know, for, for every one person who's willing to pay you for something they can get for free, there's going to be a hundred people who steal that thing. <laughs> and now what we found with your, you know, your uh, uh, perennial fave eclipse phase is that, yeah, the people who would steal the thing, they won't pay for it. They'll take mm -hmm. it if it's, there are a lot of people who will take it if it's free, but not pay for it. And that would never pay for it. Even if that's the only way they're going to get it, they'll go without. Uh, but at that time, we didn't know this. We thought, you know, oh, if people want, we had this naive idea that if people wanted our products, they would pay money for them. And so I'm like, I can't, I can't bring myself to set up a shop to sell PDFs on my website that people don't visit very often. What am I going to do? I'll just tell people that if I get 700 bucks, I'll put it up for free forever. And if I make less than 700 bucks, I won't keep the money. I'll give it to charity because I did not have a way to do refunds. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to send back all this money to people's <laughs> credit cards. What do I look like, a bank? Yeah. So that was the idea. And one thing I specifically remember was people were enraged. People yeah. were deeply, deeply pissed off at the idea that I wanted, you know, somebody, not them specifically, but somebody specifically, to pay for something that would then become free for everybody. And since then, since that time, watching in politics as everyone is like, well, why should I pay for something that will help me, but also everyone else? I want yeah. to only pay for something that will only help me. And I'm like, dude, if you're getting the benefit, why do you care if someone else gets the benefit? Because it's my money. And I'm like, there is actually a Bible verse about this exact thing. It's the parable of the toilers in the field. And Jesus said they were full of crap. But nobody wants to hear that. And what was fascinating was that every time someone came on RPGNet just breathing salty fire about how this was stupid and would never work and relying on people's better nature and mm -hmm. altruism was so stupid it was actually immoral i would get like five or six pledges yeah so well you worked. can see yeah no i mean you can see that that spirit of that today uh especially like on itch.io where you have community con uh community copies uh have you have you seen these oh um, yeah yeah so the idea is um people a lot of uh, products on uh, itch.io you'd be like okay i'm gonna buy this i'm also gonna chip in double the money so if this is five dollars you're gonna spend ten dollars and that will add one to a uh community copy pile and anyone can claim it uh but usually the author says if you if you're a need if you want to play this game but you you you're just can't afford busted. it 
uh, but you're busted. You know, you need to pay your rent. You know, you need to get food or whatever. Like, that's fine. Here's it. There's, you know, 100 community copies. There's 10 or whatever. Uh, feel free to claim one. It's entirely on the honor system. There's nothing mm-hmm. preventing people from just grabbing it. Um, and, and I'm, I'm yeah. sure that somewhere there is some grognard who hates this idea so deeply in his libertarian heart that he is tearing <laughs> out fistfuls of his own gray beard and eating them from sheer frustration. There is a libertarian bezoar forming in mm-hmm. this man's gut. And another, there's another grognard that yeah. he knows who's just like, I'll take free copies. Blurp, 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 yeah. blurp. I could easily yeah. pay for these, but I've got a boat. Blurp, blurp, mm-hmm. blurp, blurp, blurp. Um, yeah. It's so, weird. Yeah. Crowdfunding is weird. It is. It's it is counterintuitive. Weird. It's only getting weirder. Yeah, it is counterintuitive. Um, I, uh, yeah. So especially, uh, cause you've also had quite a few Kickstarters over the day. Uh, many, many, many. And I've what, what's always it like kickstarting now this year, as opposed to, you know, even last year or two years before. Well, uh, it's hard to tell. Um, mm-hmm. so there was, before we started recording, we talked about Kickstarter's flirtation with cryptocurrency and, you know, mm-hmm. cryptocurrency is now a flaming pile of garbage in the rear view and everyone has moved on to the hot, sexy, disruptive, new flaming pile of garbage, which <laughs> is the promises of AI. Mm-hmm. It's like, we've built this machine that can tell you exactly what you expect to hear. It's going to replace every writer and musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's artists. telling that that's their first thing is like, we don't need humans to create things anymore. We can save on labor. And like that, that's your, your thing not to create, yeah, not to enhance like, the tools of existing, you know, yeah. artists and writers. Listen, yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. Make me an AI that can wash dishes and fold laundry. Mm-hmm. Because like, those are two tasks that are far beyond the capabilities of robotics and AI. It's really, really hard to crack laundry folding and sorting. Mm-hmm. But well, any he, dumbass yeah. human could do it. And I will tell you, for for real true, writing a story is harder than putting the dishes away. And what's amazing uh, that the people are still having trouble grasping is how it will lie to you. Like, I uh, actually experimented with ChatGPT, uh, uh, the free version, and asked Ross, make, not yeah. even once. <laughs> no, I wanted to see what it did. I asked it to draw a five by five grid and to randomly mark three spots, and it would randomly mark five spots. And they said, "No, that's wrong." They oh no, and then it gave me four spots, and then it gave me two spots, and then finally got three. So it took I had to tell it was wrong like three or four times before I say, "Here's three random spots on a five by five grid." And, uh, it, but it just, every time, all right, here's three spots, but you marked five, like you're just lying to my face. I could see the results right there. It just didn't like, uh, in my defense, I'm much more used to producing text where people can't easily see that it's non-factual. Yeah. Yeah. These, these things are not built to create, to deal with any degree of truth. They are built to create the shape of truth, irregardless of yeah. accuracy. Um, so yeah, but, but we are cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah it, Kickstarter said, "Good news, everybody! We're gonna get involved with all these exciting cryptocurrency tools." 
And a meaningful percentage of the people who back Kickstarter said, well, you're dead to me now. And mm -hmm. a meaningful percentage of the people who make stuff and use Kickstarter to sell it said, well, you're dead to me now. And I was one of those people. I'm like, I'm not going to, A, I'm not going to do this when everyone's like, well, Kickstarter's gone crazy. It's, it's like it's like buying a used car from a meth addict. You don't want to, you don't know what's happened in there. Mm -hmm. um, and B, I'm like, I don't want to be part of this environmental destroying economic jiggery pokery. At least with Tulip Mania, you had a tulip bulb at the end of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but so I backed off and then. Yeah. And somehow they were they were astonished to see that this unilateral move that they'd taken was not accepted by the two groups of people that they actually needed to run their business. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, oh, well, the guy who was planning all this, who it turns out was heavily invested in the cryptocurrency we were going to be partnering with, is no longer with the company. And we're just going to get back to our core values. Thank you. Sorry. Goodbye. And and you know and they haven't fully said we will never do crypto we're right. we're clean and sober but I don't yeah. think they will because uh, you know the the venture capital has moved on to the next shiny new mechanical Turk right and they don't but, admit that they were wrong but it's, like, yeah. but it's tough because um, yeah. I mean I'm sure some people who left haven't come back yeah. it is hard to convince people to spend money. Uh, mm -hmm. always, uh, and uh, unless you're mar you're a marketer who's really great at it, and I don't want to be a marketer who's really great at it. Mm -hmm. uh, a joke I've made many times is, well, it's the 21st century, and everything is made out of marketing now, and it's a joke, but it's also kind of the way things are. Oh, and yeah. I do believe deep in my heart of hearts that if I took the time I spend writing, cut that in half, and spent half of that time marketing and self-promoting and well, going on podcasts, Ross, that <laughs> I would sell more, but I would sell more of a worse product. And I just don't want to. Mm -hmm. Gotta gotta look at myself in the mirror every day. So yeah, I mean, I got you. Got to get out there. You got to promote. You got to get the word out. And mm -hmm. everybody's trying to be an influencer. Uh, everybody is in the gig economy and hustling nonstop. Unless you're already a billionaire, and it's it's exhausting, and it is harder to distinguish yourself than it was in the past when crowdfunding was an unproven thing it was this exotic new opportunity mm -hmm. and i'm i'm over here saying listen man i found a way that you can get what you want cheaper without having to underwrite a store owner and a distributor and you know shipping and 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 mm -hmm. and you and you also don't have to underwrite a marketing department Yep. But it now looks like that if you want to make big money, you need to be underwriting a marketing department. Um, I mean that that's 
Definitely maybe true. I'm maybe I'm being cynical. I'm trying I'm trying not to be cynical because the fact is this does work and as long as you don't get greedy, it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh as long as you don't get in over your head. Uh I think it is um it feels like less of a pressure cooker now, but that may just be because I've done it so many times that I'm like, well, it's either going to work or it's not. And if it doesn't, I'll be sad, but I won't be devastated. Well, I mean, that's sort of like the uh, because you haven't invested so much that you, it needs to succeed. Right. Like, yeah, um, I mean, I mean, there uh, are people who clearly do invest a lot more in with like. Uh, you know, very slickly produced videos, lots of like layout and art in the uh, Kickstarter campaign, and then like uh, paying influencers and other people oh, to, to to run their games and do you know streams I, about it or podcasts about it and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I can't it, think that's worth it. I don't want. Well, to think I mean, that's worth it. That the saying though, like it's a it's a, an economy of scale, right? Like you see those six figure Kickstarters for RPGs and like. Um, those don't happen by accident. Those are teams of people, you know, team could be three people, could be 20 people. Um, and that, that, that is a a lot of extra work, uh, but that's a lot of extra people, uh, to focus on a project. So like there's the, I guess, you know, if you're an RPG designer, do you want to go that route or do you want to like stay the, I do everything or me and two, two or three other people freelancing, do it and uh, keep it within my iron control freaky uh, grasp. Yeah, exactly. Like, and how much of your own money do you invest in it? Like, oh um, yeah. Well, and this is I, I am I am very stingy. I have always operated on the premise that money go from work to Greg, not money go from Greg but to it's, work. Right, but it's it's an But you got to spend money to make yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like if you had a, if you had more art in the campaign, maybe you would have gotten an extra x percent of pledges, maybe it's Yeah, I, well I should like, I should go put more art up. Um yeah. which yeah. which means which would mean, you know, asking for more as yet unpaid labor from Violet Art Art illustrator and yeah oh yeah if you can't afford to pay them in advance well you know violet owns a piece of the company as do i as do lachlan sudarshan and jose garcia and Mm -hmm. yeah we're we are all working together to try and push this boulder up the hill and it is a lot easier with four people than it is as a one-man show Mm -hmm. uh i i will tell you that for free the more people you get helping you the easier it becomes yeah. uh, and and i will not well, I think have they're, to they're, do yeah people that you can trust and have complementary skills right like I yes mean, trust is the single biggest thing right like you trust, trust is the yeah. absolute hundred percent that that is the end the gas in the engine of crowdfunding i have said this over and over and over again that if people don't trust you they won't back your thing and you have to give them reason to trust you. And the mm-hmm. reasons I have given people to trust me are, one, I've fulfilled stuff before. Mm-hmm. I have done a lot of these. I mean, who... It's... Um, all right. This is going to be wildly overdramatic. But there <laughs> is a scene in the comic book Usagi Yojimbo where we know this guy is going to go off and fight Usagi in a duel to the death uh, 
that he's bet on himself and there are all the, there's all this gambling and he's telling his wife, listen, I've done this 15 times and I've won every single time. How many duels to the death can this guy have been in? Whereas we, the readers know that answer is like 70. <laughs> like, no, the, the comic is called Usagi Yojimbo, dude. I don't think you're walking away from the duel to the death with the title character. Yeah. And so there's a, but there's a little bit of that confidence. It's like, okay, you know, I've run, you know, double digit numbers of Kickstarters that when they succeeded, everyone got everything they asked for. This is why it hurt me so much that the rain Kickstarter is so late, even though it's not one I'm running. It hurts my Your name's attached to it. So you have my to, name's yeah. Devin. My name's right on the top and mm-hmm. it hurts my credibility. And yeah. but I mean, all I can do is keep the promises. The other I mean, the other thing that makes it easier to trust you is when you can say everything's done. And, you know, the ship's thing is completely written. It's not 100 percent illustrated, but man, illustration takes a long time, people. Yeah. So um, and it's it's yeah. mostly illustrated. And so, I frankly don't want to ask Violet to do yet more free work before she gets paid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the the sort of uh challenge and and the trust, yeah, people have to be believe you when you say I'm going to do X by Y time like they ha- if they don't believe you and if you don't believe the people you're working with if they say oh yeah i'll have yeah. the art in by this date i'll do yep. this by and this then they date flake i'll do on this you. Yeah, and then they flake on yeah. you that's the reality yeah. is um, yeah and yet there are some people who seem to have this i mean maybe it's just a knack of finding suckers because it's like oh yeah he did this kickstarter and then he rug pulled and you know people got their book mm. got one of the three books they were promised 5 years later but then you know Two years after that one failed, he start, He did another one under a different name, and same thing happened, and where they just keep going back to the well. And I'm like, man, how have people not got, A, how have people not gotten wise to these grifters, but B, how do these grifters keep finding suckers when I, an honest <laughs> man, cannot find honest backers? Yeah. It's true. Uh, it it is it is a conundrum that yeah that there are some people, some companies out there that are clearly just uh, have made an art form of uh, manipulating uh, the audience, uh, and then and that sort of affects everybody. There's a corrosive effect of like right. Well, I've heard of so many Kickstarter failures, crowdfunding failures mm-hmm. that um, not, so not yeah. one of mine. Yep. Unless but, unless yeah. it was rain and rains, you know, we've got us we got a contract signed with a printer now. So great. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's it was never easy. Uh, at the beginning, it was hard because nobody knew how this worked and nobody knew what we were doing. Right. And well, it's still it, being perfected. It's still like being changed. Yeah. It's a fluid field. Like again, is there anything different you've done with this Kickstarter that you haven't done with previous ones? Nah, not okay. really. Pretty, well, pretty I'm much thinking the I formula. Sh- yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, promote it on the other Kickstarters that I completed and on social media, and you know, get the other three to push it around and and just you know, hope you know, get on some podcasts. Um, so yeah, yeah, a uh, little advertising here and there, but not too much because it's hard to get the return on it. Yeah, um, that that is true. Uh, 
of course you you so yeah it, it's it's and i mean uh, part of it yeah uh, it used to be, but for a while, there was this period where you could get on Twitter and promote it on Twitter, and that would be how they'd find how people would find mm-hmm. you, uh, especially if you had established yourself on Twitter as someone who was witty or amusing yeah. or you know, kind or friendly or someone that a complete stranger could come up to and say, okay, so I'm playing your game X and what about this? And you will give them a good answer. Right. And now, you know, Twitter's algorithm seems perfectly happy to have you provide the content of, oh yes, I will interact with my fans and I will answer their questions and I will be cool to them. But as soon as you put that link to your Patreon or Kickstarter, the algorithm's like, this is a secret that must never be told. Oh yeah, no Twitter. The, so, uh, Twitter is getting worse by the day. Uh, that, um, and other I social mean, media I platforms mean, okay. are video it, and image focused. Yeah. It, in defense, you know, yeah. if you're looking for uh, for bi curious singles in your area, the new Twitter is definitely, definitely for you. Oh, I get like I've got crypto and Exxon Mobil ads. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> what, what, yeah. what, what, what is different about our social media profiles that they think you're a sucker and I'm horny? What's <laughs> what's happening I, here I, for I, us? Um, I, I have no what, idea. What, what is each of us doing wrong? But uh, I mean, I suppose yeah. that 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 assumes there is a correct way. Hold on, uh, before the. Before the podcast started, I, I talked about how I wanted to keep my voice down more in the James Earl Jones mm. end of the register and away from the Gilbert Gottfried end more of the base, register. Yeah. And unfortunately, the more interested and excited I become, the more Gottfried I get. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm taking a moment <laughs> to well, recalibrate. But yeah, is there is there a correct way to use Twitter now where you're like, oh, boy. These people I've never heard of want, are DMing me, but the, but it's all quality. Wow, this is someone who's really relevant to my interest. Oh my, it's a talented artist in a style I like who's looking for cover work. Yeah, no, there. Uh, in general, Twitter, like what what I've I've learned is if you post an interesting thing and then you post the link below it as a reply, like a Twitter thread, that that mm-hmm. helps, but. Um, you know, you can create little, I think the thing is social media is broadly moving to images and video and, uh, you know, TikTok and Instagram, right? Like, but, uh, and other platforms. And the problem, the thing about Twitter was that it was the biggest one that was text forward, text focused. And I don't want to have to create video and, uh, images every single day, every single time I want to promote something or or talk about something like that's just you know, exponentially more work for me than it is to type something for, you know, uh, 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 it's, so it's frustrating. Like, um, that, you know, there are, of course there's co-hosts in Mastodon, but, uh, maybe blue sky, but Mastodon seems pretty good, but it's got a, you know, a 10th of a percent of the, uh, the, the other than that, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, so, um, no, it's, 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 I, difficult. I, I mean, the biggest thing that I've learned is creating like a regular <laughs> output of content and building an audience for it, i.e. a podcast. But like, um, if you do short form videos or something or YouTube, uh, uh, some kind of like regular thing that people li- 
consume on a big platform that can sort of um, get people uh, uh, listening. I mean, maybe now it's building a, a public Discord server and inviting people to it and, and using that. Um, I don't know. It's it's okay. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll tell yeah. you something because yeah. yeah, the steady trickle has to be there. I'll tell you how. Uh, so uh, this is a data point, but mm-hmm. with my fiction work, I it used to be I'd get a story, I'd put it up for a Kickstarter, and I'd be I'd say when I get X dollars, it goes on my web page on my fiction thing, and there's you know dozens of stories there, mm-hmm. and then when Kickstarter went crypto nuts, uh, I'm like, okay, it's time to use Patreon, I guess. Mm-hmm. And now that I've been on Patreon for a year, what I always told people is that after a year, the stories that came out on Patreon will go for free on my webpage. Mm -hmm. So I'm now hoping, hoping that I can drive more people to the Patreon by saying, oh, hey, would you like a whole, if you liked this story, which is for free on my website now, Mm -hmm. you might like the 12 others that are paywalled for 10 bucks on Patreon. But you have to drive people to that first part of the funnel, right? Like actually yeah, on Patreon, yeah. they talk about this, the, this whole thing called the funnel where you have a big uh, thing uh, to, to get as many people as possible. And then they get, do a call to action, get them to the next stage of the funnel and then the next stage and then get them subscribing to your Patreon. So for me, it's the podcast, right? Like I do the podcast mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, the podcast, I when I remember to, I was like, "Hey, I've got a Patreon, by the way, with all this cool extra stuff." Um, and You've I occasionally got a Patreon, the Valhalla, yeah. where the yeah. true heroes, the <laughs> it's true. the dozen saints who bear the world's virtues on their back, yeah. come uh, to thanklessly support things of beauty for all of mankind. So you may want to like of humanity. Damn it. Yeah, so if you could figure out, do like short minute videos for YouTube shorts or TikTok, oh, narrating a bit of your stories, oh, they shit. like read them on my website, on um, my Patreon has them all, like, uh, I don't know, like, or or even tweets or something like that, like, that's the thing. And and that's, again, going back to that marketing, how do you spend your time? Do you spend your time marketing or creating? And like, yeah, it's uh, a very, uh, if you could outsource it, you know, like mm. one thing I'm looking at is there, there are services that you can set up to automate your podcast, to go to YouTube. Uh, and I'm thinking about that, but I just haven't had the time or energy to set that up. So yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> and, uh, but I think that's a good idea in general. You just need to like, tell people, Hey, you've got all this free fiction. Uh, I got all here. this free fiction people. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a good place. Links yeah. in the show notes. Yes, links in the show notes. We'll have a link, obviously, to Ships, uh, which ends yes. June 15th, uh, uh, 2 p.m. Central. Uh, I've, I have week. backed it. I'm, I'm a, God a, bless a you, man. Ross. You're one of yeah. the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, check out Greg's uh, fiction. And of course, check us out on Ludd or Narrative Ludd Dissonance. Narrative. Yeah. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about fiasco, right? That's tomorrow, right? Yeah, we're recording that tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, I, I'm uh, our, pre- our we have a public uh, uh, feed for our episodes. Of course, pay- packers of our season two Kickstarter get the episodes like a month early, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've uh, our episode on dread got noticed on the RPG uh, subreddit, <laughs> the- which was nice, and yeah. The backers got to hear me scream "fuck you" at James Wallace a month <laughs> before anyone else could. It's true, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and you got to hear about it. Uh, yeah, I can't even remember which episode it was where he lit me up like that. 
uh yeah it is it is a fun it's, it is a very fun episode uh, podcast. it is a it is a fun podcast to do yeah. um so yeah, I, hopefully I'm looking uh, forward to our fiasco episode well i mean yeah this is this is the reading fiasco and and playing through it is partially informed my thinking about this like okay so there is mm-hmm. concrete numerical gaming and there is vibes based impromptu uh improv gaming and mm-hmm. you know everything is kind of varying the proportions of those yeah. flavors i it, it it's kind of made me think about like skill floors and skill ceilings for role playing games because there 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 are these unspoken assumptions for role playing games especially that you you mean for says, players yeah for players yeah for players like um you need to like for a fiasco have a certain level of improv being able to improv things like and yes. that's not an assumption that like role players take it for granted right like game a lot of people have been gaming for years take it for granted and i think designers do too but like yeah and that's something we'll it's talk like about it, in the episode, yeah. it's yeah yeah if it, if you can't run don't try to play football mm-hmm. but um yeah, yeah. So, it's, so we'll it's, we'll it's, talk about this tomorrow. Yeah, uh, and you'll we'll eventually put it out in the public feed. So, uh, and we are in discussions about what to do for a uh, third season of Letter Narrative, and we'll of course Ooh. have updates for that. Um, but yeah, and also Greg will be a guest on the RPPR Patreon uh, for After Hours. We talk about one of the worst role playing <laughs> games of all time. Uh, which game is it? Well, you'll have to, you'll have to be, uh, we'll have a little preview. So, yeah. so I read that and then I get the Polaroids back. That's the deal. Uh, right, right. <laughs> well, I'll edit this part out. No, I probably won't. <laughs> uh, so yeah, something to get, look forward to, uh, if you're a backer and, uh, thank you so much, Greg, for dropping by, uh, share your thoughts. On, it was a on pleasure games. as yeah. always. Yeah. All right. Uh, talk to you later. All right. Uh, yeah. Bye.